You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. And on this edition, we're going to be looking back at Arsenal's 2-0 defeat at the hands of Chelsea at Emirates Stadium. It was the big return, but Arsenal let us down. And, uh, you know, it was it was one of those where you're probably, if you're thinking with your head, not expecting too much going into it. But when you see the way it unfolded, you can't help but be disappointed. You can't help but feel dejected. You can't help but feel worried about what is going to come next week when we go to Manchester City and what might come over the course of the season. Because for me, Arsenal are still getting fundamental basics horribly wrong. For me, Arsenal are still struggling to create chances with any regularity. Good chances, that is. We're almost relying on scraps. We talk a lot about our forwards. We talk a lot about Aubameyang. We talk a lot about Lacazette. We've talked a lot about those two players over the course of this season and about how maybe it's time to look beyond them. It's time to upgrade in that position. Yet, we can't create chances even when Gabriel Martinelli's up top. We can't create chances when following Balogun's up top. And to add to that, the one thing that I always thought Mikel Arteta did a little bit better than some of his predecessors was set us up in a way against the bigger sides, if you like, where we could be more competitive, where we could keep them at bay and where we could, where we could at least stay in the game for longer periods of time. And it seems that that's gone out of the window as well. So, Lots of issues, lots of worries, lots of concerns, and we're going to go through a load of them. Uh, we are going to be bringing you the tactical analysis show with all the screenshots and all of that uh, and the tactics board tomorrow. Uh, that'll be around about lunchtime tomorrow. We'll be recording that live, so you can come and join us for that, and we'll look a little bit more into the ins and outs of it. Uh, I'll be watching the game back this evening uh, to be able to put that little episode together, so um, haven't done that yet. Haven't brought myself to do it yet. I've watched the highlights back since I've come home from the Emirates Stadium, but feeling quite down, feeling quite downbeat. I've got to say, um, starting off with kind of the day itself, it was obviously really, really nice to get back to Emirates Stadium. It was obviously very, very nice to see the familiar faces, um, to have a couple of beers beforehand, catch up with people that we hadn't seen in a long, long time. And I was saying to my dad as we were walking. Uh, down to the stadium, we were walking down Hornsey Road and we passed the Tollington pub and there was people outside and enjoying their drinks and singing and, and all of that. And I said, to, I turned around and I said to him, that smell of kind of like warm beer and the sight of people kind of conversating, enjoying themselves, um, singing Arsenal songs. It felt like football was back finally, didn't it? And I must say, when I got into the stadium, I was really, really optimistic. Not because I was delusional, not because I thought that Arsenal were going to go out on the pitch and blow Chelsea away or that we're even on the same level as them. But because we were back and you felt like 
we could get something out of this if we were on top of our game. You felt as though the crowd and all of that could really play a part. And I've got to say, I had major, major concerns heading into the game. And I've spoken about it on here numerous times about the fans. I wondered if there were going to be uh, fans getting on Arsenal's back the minute things went wrong. I wondered if there was going to be those people kind of waiting in the wings for Arsenal to fail so that they could make their points about Mikel Arteta, could make their points about the way he set up the team and some of our players, etc., etc. But actually, that wasn't the case, not inside the stadium anyway. I thought that everybody got behind the team. I thought that even in, as Mikel Arteta said on one of his radio interviews I heard uh, on the drive back, he said, the fans were with us even in the difficult moments. And I really did think that the majority, at least, um, were behind the team. I thought there were moments where the game was done, let's be honest, at 2-0, but the crowd really worked to try and lift people. And I think that kind of started for me with that excellent sort of uh, bit of pressing that Kieran Tierney did after he chased that ball down the left-hand side. He he chased the, the player down, he chased the goalkeeper down, then he went back to close down the fullback again. And that kind of little spell of play really got everyone up for it. And it showed, you know, Arsenal are, are really going to give it their all, at least effort-wise, even if the quality isn't good enough. And, um, and I think a lot of people, uh, you know, really responded to that. And I thought between... Then in the end of the game, there was a really positive atmosphere. There was a nice chorus of, we love you, Arsenal, we do, uh, echoing around the stadium right at the end of the game. I know there were some boos at halftime, which a couple of you have mentioned in the chat box. And and yeah, look, that was people making their frustrations known. And I think they had every right to feel frustrated after that first half display post the 15-minute mark, post the Lukaku goal. Because I think prior to that, actually, Arsenal were OK. We were competing. But, and and we'll go into it a little bit more in depth tomorrow when we do the tactical analysis and the tactical breakdown of it all. But I thought Mikel Arteta got it fundamentally wrong today. I really do. And I, I have defended him time and time again. And I've actually thought that throughout his tenure, he's always been very good at making us more difficult to beat, as I already mentioned, in these kind of fixtures and recognising the limitations of his team and therefore tweaking things and adjusting things to, to try and level the playing field with our opponents. We saw him do it in that FA Cup run very early on in his tenure. He got, um, you know, a, a really positive result against City in the semi-final and then obviously beat Chelsea in the final. He's since not always got the results that we wanted, but at least made us more competitive. There haven't been that many of those kind of really big batterings that we used to get towards the back end of Wenger's days. But this is my issue with Mikel Arteta tonight. And without going into the tactical side too much, as I said, because we're going to do that tomorrow when I've had a chance to watch the game back, I think the way he set up the team was fundamentally wrong. You look at that Chelsea side, you look at the way they line up, and you had to, you absolutely had to match them up. We talked about it at length in our preview show. We went into it in great detail. I talked about all the reasons why it is impossible to go up against Chelsea with all the power, all the physicality, all the technical quality that they have and be naive enough to think that playing with the 4-2-3-1 or whatever you want to call it was the way to go. I think that we got it tactically wrong and it made us look 
like a shambles. Defensively, it was awful. You know, I understand why he didn't maybe want to change it in an attacking sense. He's probably thinking that we, when we play that way, we do look a little bit toothless. We do look a little bit lackluster in the final third. But actually, we do that, but we, we do look like that, but we also look a lot more solid defensively. And I just think the way... <laughs> The way he did it today was 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 disastrous. I think if you look back at the two goals, and again, we're going to analyse this in a bit more detail later on, but if you look back at the two goals, both of them come from Pablo Marie being sucked out of the back line to follow Romelu Lukaku because he's trying to get tight on him, because he's trying to keep him at bay. And Kieran Tierney, as a result, feeling the need to tuck in from left back into almost a centre-back position and essentially affording Rhys James all the time and space in the world on that right-hand side. And Rhys James is good enough to punish you. You give Rhys James that kind of space, you give him that kind of opportunity and he will invariably make you pay for it. The first time around, he picked out Romelu Lukaku who bullied his way into the penalty area and tapped it in from close range. And the second time Rhys James got in himself, and he fired towards the far corner. Now, a lot of you have, were, were disappointed by Tierney's performance today, and I was as well overall. I didn't think he was as good as he normally is. I didn't think he was um, as marauding in an attacking sense. I think Chelsea did a fantastic job of pinning him back. And that's what happens when you play in, in Chelsea's formation. You give your wing-backs so much freedom that they do cause havoc, whether it was... Reese James or Marcos Alonso, Chelsea were always looking to get bodies into, get the ball into those wide areas, take us on, run at us, expose those half spaces and pick out people in the middle of the, of the box. And when I say people, I mean Romelu Lukaku because he is a powerhouse. I've talked so much over the last few months about how much he has come on since leaving Manchester United and joining into working under Antonio Conte has done wonders for Romelu Lukaku. He's a much better player than he was previously. But what he hasn't lost in his development is that raw physical power. Um, you know, I don't know if any of you have seen it, but there was a video a little while back, maybe a few years ago now, where he was here in England and um, he's doing this drill with Jamie Carragher and he's talking about how he, he pins the defender back and then holds him back and, and relies on his strength. To, to hold the defender off so that he can turn, roll either one way or the other and essentially create space to either shoot or to play passes or to beat the man. And I just had flashbacks of watching that video today because every time Romelu Lukaku had the ball played into him, he was able to do that. And, and why it's really baffling for me, when I say it, I mean the decision to play the way we did. The reason it is so baffling to me was because we all know that that's what Romelu Lukaku is about. We all know that you are going to try and have to, you know, in order to try and contain him as a centre-back, you're going to have to try and get tight. You're going to have to go up to, against him in a one-on-one -on -one physical battle, which means that you, you're leaving one centre-half behind to deal with the runners, the Havertzes, the Mason Mounts. And, and you can't. You can't do that. That's not how you defend. We've spoken about this before. In my opinion, in order to defend effectively, unless you have outstanding players, which we don't, you need to have spare men. You need to have a spare centre-back that can help. 
you need to have a third center back that can allow you to become more compact in dangerous moments that can allow your wing backs to to drop off and essentially become a back five because that's what Chelsea do when they're not on the attack when they're without the ball and they're having to sink that little bit deeper it turns into a back five and it becomes incredibly difficult to break them down and I just feel like had Arsenal gone down that route we would have had more joy in uh in pinning them down uh in sorry in pushing them back in uh limiting them to opportunities I just felt that we played into their hands we basically went too narrow in terms of our back four and we went too narrow because of our fear of Romelu Lukaku largely and as such we gave up one of the areas that Thomas Tuchel's sides like to expose the most and you can't do that at this level you cannot give a team who are better than you technically better than you physically who are better than you in every single department, advantages like that. And if you do, you are fighting a losing battle. So defensively, we've established it wasn't good enough. We've talked about the two goals, how they come about. The annoying thing was that after the first one went in, we fell into the same trap again for the second one. And that is doubly frustrating because you see people making the same mistakes over and over again. It's very hard to accept that. It's very hard to put up with that. But the big worry was that we couldn't create much. You know, that for me was more of a concern than two lapses in concentration defensively. More of a concern than the manager maybe making a wrong decision in the lead up to the game. It's that lack of raw creativity, that lack of spark that this team seems to have every time they take to the field. And it's not to pin it on any one individual. It's not to pin it on Smith Rowe who's the number 10. It's not to pin it on Saka. It's not to pin it on Pepe. But as a collective, we just do not have enough of that creative guile and creative spark. And it's really, really worrying because we've signed Martin Odegaard, who we've all talked about as being a, a good signing, or the majority of us feel that way. A, a good signing, yes. Somebody with the potential to develop further, yes. Somebody that I'm glad we brought back to the club, yes. But does Martin Odegaard tomorrow make Arsenal click in the final third? I'm not sure he does. I think he will in time, but we need solutions now because the problems are now. And, and that, for me, is, is a big concern, the lack of creative spark. But equally, when we do get the odd opportunity, when we do have things fall our way, we have to take those opportunities. And Arsenal, again, showed a toothlessness in front of goal. And one player I take particular issue with in this instance, and I know he's a centre-back, so this sounds a little bit crazy. Harry having a go at a centre-back for not scoring. But how many times over the last three years have you seen Rob Holding go up for a set-piece, do everything right in the lead-up, get his movement spot-on, pull away from his marker, pop up on the edge of the six-yard box and fail to hit the target with a header? It happens all the time with Rob Holding and it's so, so frustrating because, yes, you don't rely on your centre-backs to score your goals. But when you do get those moments in games like this, games that are determined by the finest margins, you need someone to pop up and deliver. And he just doesn't do it. He just doesn't do it. And I know this sounds crazy. Why is he slagging off a centre-back for our lack of goals? I'm not, um, you know, I'm not 
wanting to dig out Rob Holding. But when I thought about it after he did miss that opportunity, it, it suddenly dawned on me that this has happened so often with Rob Holding and it is something he needs to improve on. Because as I say, he's got everything else. He gets in the right position. He, he senses where the ball's going to go. But having got there, he just can't, he just can't convert. Now, Mikel Arteta talked a lot in the post-match about the players that we had missing. And I've got some sympathy for him there. I've got to say, you know, missing Alexander Lacazette, obviously a big blow, was very important to us last season. I felt was very important uh, in the sort of improved form that we showed in the back end of that campaign or in the second half of that campaign. Obviously, we were without Thomas Partey, another big blow. Ben White, another one. Gabriel, another one. And there are, you know, a few players that people will mention and will talk about. But those were the ones that, you know, would have played, that would have probably made a difference to the starting eleven. But it's it's kind of, it's, it's, it's we're in that difficult place where you don't want to look at it and say, it's all on Mikel Arteta because of, you know, because of those absentees, because of that long list of players missing. You don't want to look at Mikel Arteta and say, well, you had every single tool that is available to you at your disposal today and you still got it wrong. But on the other hand, you look at where it was lost today and I'm not even sure it was lost based on the personnel. I think I feel like it was lost tactically today. And that is something that the manager has to take stick for. That is something that the manager has to be held responsible for. And this is why it's taken me 17, 18 minutes into this podcast to even mention the players that were unavailable to us. Do I recognise that we are significantly weaker with a lot of those players I've just mentioned without, sorry, a lot of those players I've just mentioned? Of course. Of course I do. Of course I know it's difficult as a manager to go into games and to not have what I believe will be his two first-choice centre-backs in Ben White and Gabriel not available against the champions of Europe. Of course, I agree that it's difficult to go into a game with only one half of your preferred midfield partnership. Of course, I know that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang wasn't fit enough to start the game. Of course, I know that Alexander Lacazette would have been a better option up top today than uh, Gabriel Martinelli. But when you get it tactically wrong, you have to look at the manager. And would those players have made a difference? Yeah, I'm sure they would. But fundamentally, we were set up wrong. And I believe that whichever players are in the team setting up that way against Chelsea, we probably would have got beat. And people will say, oh, it was only a couple of moments. It was only a couple of defensive lapses that allowed Chelsea in and Chelsea got their goals. But Chelsea took their foot off the gas at that point. Chelsea were in cruise control. Chelsea were coasting through. And Arsenal weren't able to respond, weren't able to offer anything ourselves. And as I said in the, the video I put out a little bit earlier on from the ground, it was men against boys. It was like when you're, you're 12, 13 years old and you go to football training and the coach, you know, decides to, to set up a match between the parents and the kids. And the kids might be running about all enthusiastically and trying to win the ball back. But, you know, I, I know, I don't know about you guys, when I was 12 years old, I couldn't get near my dad. If he put his arm out like that to stop me getting onto the ball, that's what would have happened. 
And it felt like that at times. And I, and it only dawned on me how physical that Chelsea side are today when I saw them in the flesh. People like Marcus Alonso, a left-back, is an absolute unit. There was one instance in the second half where I saw Pablo Marie go up for a header with him on the edge of Chelsea's penalty area and Alonso came out on top. And I looked and I, I looked to my mate next to me and I said, if your centre-half can't win a header against their fullback, what chance do you have? You know, what chance do you have? They're, they're physically stronger than us. They're technically better than us. They've got incredible strength and depth. And again, I go back to that point. I know we have players missing. I know that makes a difference. But I looked over at one stage during the game in the second half, quite deep into the second half. And I looked to my right. I'm sitting in the North Bank and the substitutes are warming up just in front of me to the right. And I look at the Arsenal substitutes warming up. And I see Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Reese Nelson, and Sarah Kolasinac. And I think to myself, what have we got on that substitutes bench? Aubameyang had already come on at this point. What have we got on that substitutes bench to make a real difference here? I looked a bit further and I look at the Chelsea substitutes bench. And I see Hakim Ziyech, Timo Werner, Thiago Silva, all top quality players, which shows you just how much of a difference and how much of a golfing class there is between these two squads. Chelsea are miles and miles and miles better than us at the moment. And that cannot be denied. Is this a game that you should look at and judge Arsenal in terms of where they're at uh, off the back of it? No, I don't don't think it is. I've got to say that. Because as I mentioned, we did have a lot of players missing. I do think we got it wrong tactically and I do think we could have been more competitive had the manager made what I believe to be the right calls today. I think things would have been very different. I think things would have been very different in terms of the nature of the goals we conceded, but I don't think things would have been very different in terms of the outcome, in terms of the final result. And so on that basis, I think it's it's important not to let your emotions run away Um you know, run away with you in a situation like this because Chelsea are not the team we're measuring ourselves against at the moment. Neither are Manchester City. They're not our direct competitors. Those two clubs are head and shoulders above everybody else. And that's the reality. You know, that is the reality of it right now. And so can you sit there and say Mikel should be sacked off the back of this game? I don't think so. I think that there are serious questions that need to be asked of him. I think he did get it wrong today and he shouldn't be um, exempt from that criticism, which is why I've spent the last 20 odd minutes talking about how he got it wrong, how he picked the wrong system, how he failed to recognise Chelsea's strengths. And off the back of that, um, you know, we were beaten and we were beaten quite comprehensively and quite comfortably. I think that Mikel is. (laughs) running out of time, to be honest. I do, because he's not going to get the patience of the fans for much longer. And people like me, who I like to think have been fair on him, have given him the time, have given him the opportunity to turn things around, are starting to worry now. When you go into a game like that, and listen, I keep harping on about the system. I keep harping on about the decision not to play a back three. But I cannot, for the life of me, see any valid, just reason as to why he didn't today.
Now, some people tweeted me a little bit earlier on and were saying to me that it was because if we're trying to embed a philosophy, we should stick to our game. We should look at to play our game. We're Arsenal Football Club and we shouldn't look to change our game to deal with others. But the reality is that when a team is so much superior to you, you have to do that. You have to, you have to look at it and understand and acknowledge where you are as a football team and then do what's necessary to close that gap. Had we got a nil-nil draw today, I wouldn't be coming away from the Emirates moaning that we were boring or that we were negative or that we didn't create many opportunities. I genuinely wouldn't. I'd have been over the moon with that. And when I looked at what he might do when we talked about the, the lineup that we wanted to see on this show, you know, in the lead up to the game. And I, and I thought about it and thought about it. I was convinced that if we set up that way and if we played that way, we stood a greater chance of getting a result, a far greater chance of getting a result than we did playing in the way that we did. I thought that it was a silly decision, a mindless decision. And I don't really understand why Mikel came to that conclusion. Did he think that without Ben White, he couldn't play with three centre-backs? Was that it? Was that the concern? Did that play a part in the decision? I don't know. None of us will really know. But I just thought we were set up to fail from the very beginning today. And that has to be on the manager. It has to be. Just a quick reminder before we continue, we're going to start taking some of your questions from the chat box. So. Um, Chuck them in. Uh, make sure you pop a little bit of a cue. Um, a little bit of a cue. Make sure you pop a cue in at the start of your questions so that it's easier for me to pick them out from the live chat box. I can see right now there's over 550 of you watching us. We've only got 67 likes, though. Guys, come on. Hit the like button. Doesn't cost you a thing, but really, really helps the channel. Really, really helps the video. So if you wouldn't mind... Um, doing that for me. It's very much appreciated. Surely we can get up to 200 by the time the stream ends. There's certainly enough of you watching. Hit that like button. Right. Also, quick reminder, this podcast is brought to you by manscaped.com for all your male grooming needs. Head over to their fantastic website. Check out their excellent range of products. And um, if you want to purchase anything, if you feel like you, you're in need of some uh, TLC down there, then you can enter our discount code, which is 90min20, and you shall receive 20% off of your order, as well as free worldwide shipping. We thank Manscaped for their very kind sponsorship of the program. Also, uh, I'm still playing the Le Bomb game, uh, the prediction game, and we're very deep into the weekend now. There's one game to go in the Premier League calendar, and that's the game between West Ham and Leicester City tomorrow. So, uh, yeah. That's going to be interesting because uh, it's very tight at the top between myself and Adam McCola. Just a few points in it. I've got West Ham to win. Adam's got Leicester to win. So I need either the West Ham win, so I get the right result, or I need a draw. If they draw, then I think that I will win it, which will be great. So I don't think any of the others have got um, have got the. Uh, enough points to uh, to close the gap in with one game remaining. Uh, but if you want to play that game, if you want to bet against your mates week in, week out, uh, head over to the link in the app and uh, the link in the app, the link in the description, I'm all over the place, had a few beers and Arsenal pissed me off. Um, <laughs> the link in the description 
and that you can download it. You must be 18 or over to play. And of course, a UK resident. Uh, Insomniac says, are all Arsenal channels sponsored by this ball shaving company? Yes, we are. Uh, they're going big on advertising, clearly. And uh, considering Arsenal have got no balls, I'm surprised they keep coming to us, if I'm honest. Uh, big hello to uh, Chris Hudson. Hope you're well, mate. He says, uh, Harry, who would you want as boss? In an ideal world, I'd want somebody like Antonio Conte. But as I've said before, that's not realistic for me. Um, it really isn't. I think Arsenal are in desperate need of um, of of a bit more of a style. I feel like Mikel Arteta is in between styles. I don't think he's really defined his style yet as a manager. And I think off the back of that, we're seeing mixed messages. We're seeing different things week in, week out. We're not seeing a system that is is functional all the time. That's largely down to us having to chop and change players. But I do think that somebody with a bit more of a, a stronger philosophy may have embedded that by now. And at, and at least we'd be able to maintain a certain level, whereas right now we're not able to do that. I'd love uh, Gasparini at Atalanta. A lot of people talk about him. He plays really exciting, attracting foot, uh, attractive football. Um and does it with a limited budget and does it with limited resource. And he's been competing with some of the big sides in Italy uh, over the last four or five years without having anywhere near as much to spend. I appreciate though the Premier League is a very different animal. Um, I, it's, it's a really hard question to answer, Chris. In an ideal world, as I say, Antonio Conte would be my man, but I don't think that Arsenal uh, would be able to convince him. I don't think that he would want to take the job. I think he would see it as too big of a challenge. And I think that when he looks at the squad that we have coupled with what he'd be given to spend, um, you know, I think he'd struggle and I think he, he wouldn't be convinced of the project. People say that Arsenal have spent loads of money this summer and they have, you know, they have spent a lot of money, but they've brought a lot of players in. And sometimes I think to myself, like, while there was a lot of positions that needed addressing, would we have been better off just signing three players or, or two top world-class players? Would that have elevated us as a team quicker? Possibly. It's um, it's a hard one, isn't it? But in terms of who I'd want to to manage us, it's hard to think of anyone outside of Conte right now. Uh, I've got to be honest. People have talked about Luis Enrique. I wouldn't be against that. Um, plays a nice style of football, nice brand of football. Um, and yeah, you know, it's another option as well. But it's it's so hard, isn't it? Because the the market's always changing. You never know who's going to be available. Sometimes someone can get the sack elsewhere, but be the perfect fit for us. I just think we need someone maybe with a stronger philosophy than what we're seeing from Mikel Arteta. Because when he first came, I thought his philosophy was to be that little bit more defensive and that little bit more organised, to be that little bit more pragmatic. Then we quickly saw that that was him just making do, which showed he was adaptable. But in being adaptable, I think we've lost our way a little bit in terms of trying to nail down and embed a way of playing a style and a philosophy and now we're in this place where we don't really know what we want to do and we don't really know how we want to do it. So, um, yeah, interesting situation. Uh, let's take uh, some more of your questions. I am just picking these at random, guys. So if I miss some, I do apologize. Please don't take it personally. And if you want to pop them in on a couple more than once, then feel free to do so. And that way uh, you've got more chance of me picking them up. Uh, George Davis says, uh, do you think our attack would thrive with different tactics, seeing as all of our forward players have dipped in quality since his arrival? When it comes to, to our attacking play, I think that less is more. I think that 
And when I say less is more, I mean less manager instruction is more when it comes to attackers. I think you need to allow players to express themselves. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer does that very well at Man United. I think that Arsene Wenger used to do that very well in an attacking sense. Granted, he never, especially towards the end, struck that balance between the attack and the defence and and never really found a way to allow those players to go out and express themselves while also maintaining a shape off the ball and making us difficult and stubborn to beat. But Mikel Arteta just needs to take the shackles off. I think that's a large part of it. But equally, I don't think our quality in attack is as good as some people think. And this might be an unpopular opinion, but I don't think that... I I don't even know if I want to say this because of the heat. I know I'm going to get off the back of it. But Smith-Rowe turns and he dribbles and he carries the ball and he'll play a nice pass left and a nice pass right. But does he have that Alexis Sanchez about him where he can bang one in from 25 yards? Does he have that tenacity to continue a run and go all the way by himself, that almost single-mindedness to drive forward and, and finish the job himself? No, he doesn't. Not yet, anyway, he doesn't. Does Bukayo Saka have that? Not all the time, no. Bukayo Saka's had some great games in an Arsenal shirt. He's had some disappointing ones too. But that is to be expected from someone of his age. That is to be expected of someone at the point he is at in his footballing journey. So it's not to be personal on those players, but we don't have that top, top quality attacker. And in years gone by, even when the rest of the team was dire, when it was dreadful, we still always had that. We still always had top quality attacking players who were match winners and could make the difference. And you look around that group now and you just don't see it. Tariq Talk says, loving the stream, H. We're missing more than half a squad, so I'm not Arteta out yet. How long does he have for you before you believe it's time for a change? Yeah, I, again, going back to that point, um, you know, about the players missing, it is a big deal. It is something that's hindered us. It is a problem and it is something we need to remember and take into account when assessing how we did today. Um, but, you know, it's, it's so difficult to put a time limit on it, mate. I, I think if you were going to give him... If you allowed him to stay, as I've said this before, if you allowed him to stay past Villarreal, then how can you sack him just two games into the new season? doesn't make any sense. But there is a real possibility that Arsenal go into that international break with zero points on the board. And that is not acceptable. That is not good enough. And people are right to ask questions about that. People are right to raise that as a concern. But I still think you need a good couple of months into the season to see where it is that are like whether he can sort it out, whether he can get us going. The problem with that is you couldn't easily fall too far behind. I mean, we're already six points behind Spurs and we've only played two weeks. You know, it couldn't have gone much worse in that department. So it's really hard for me to put uh, a time limit on it. I never had a time limit with Unai Emery, but there was a moment when I knew and there's a moment when you know that there's no coming back. For some, that moment has already passed with Mikel Arteta. For others, I think they're willing to give him that little bit longer. But I can't really put a time limit on it, mate. I know I've sat on the fence on that one. True politicians answer. I do apologise. But when I think it's time, you'll know about it. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, Alex McCarthy says, I'm not using the missing players as an excuse. Where was Arteta's plan B? Uh, where is the plan B if these players got injured and he had to change things? Arteta is stubborn. I think that you can't, you shouldn't use it as an excuse to excuse the way we set up and various other elements of today's performance. But you can't dismiss the fact that those players were missing because it is a big deal. It is. Um, 
28 guy happy says uh would you like to see arsenal play like leeds or west ham where the football is at least exciting and you can enjoy the game arsenal are a hard watch these days yeah we are a hard watch because it's boring it's bloody boring and when we get into the final third you don't even feel like we're going to create a chance you don't even feel like we're you know I, when i used to go to the emirates before even when we had like Shamak up front and like Giroud when he wasn't firing on all cylinders and various other places, you always felt like Arsenal could score. You always felt like Arsenal could score goals. And I genuinely felt like Arsenal could have played for four hours today and not scored a goal. I genuinely feel like Arsenal could have been playing until now and still not scored a goal. That's how toothless, that's how lacklustre this team looks up top. And I think a lot of that is down to the tactics, but I also think a lot of that is down to the players. They're not creative enough in themselves they're not they haven't got enough guile they haven't got you know Pepe will cut inside someone and give him a bit of a roast in and from time to time look like a world beater Bukayo Saka the same but are they ruthless enough in that final third is Emil Smith-Rowe ruthless enough in that final third Aubameyang hasn't played well for the best part of a year Alexander Lacazette did okay but now he's he's unavailable and it just feels like all of those things sort of amalgamated together, make us uh, a re really boring and unentertaining proposition to watch. And I guess if you get results, nobody really cares about that. But when you're not getting the results, uh, then then what is the point in trying to be super pragmatic? I agree. Uh, David Mar says, best thing about today was the beers at the Emirates was buy one, get one free. Yeah, it was up until about 3.30, I think it was, or whatever the deal was. But yeah, you're right. That's absolutely right. There was free beers uh, for those... Uh, the Emirates Stadium or buy one, get one free. So basically get yourself two pints for one. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Mazaruni, hope you're well, man. He says, uh, dreadful today. Everything about the team is unfinished or failing. We've scored 11 times in 20 games at home. Unacceptable. Now, I read a stat actually on my way home in the car. I don't know how accurate this is, but it was something along the lines of Mikel Arteta has already lost more games at Emirates Stadium and Arsene Wenger lost in his final six years. That's terrible. That is flipping terrible. If that is true, and I, I haven't checked it out, but if it is, that is absolutely shocking. Hashim says, uh, why are we planning for the future and forgetting about the present? If you sort yourself out today, tomorrow will sort itself out. Why are people saying it's not Arteta's fault? He needs to go. Yeah, he, he is obviously partly responsible you know the buck always stops with the manager doesn't it um but i do think that it's i think it's a bit naive to dismiss all the other points the points around players missing the points around the rotten luck we seem to have with this bloody covid thing everybody else is fine and arsenal get hit as the season starts it's impossible to dismiss the fact that we um don't get refereeing decisions another big problem you know, I looked at that Saka incident. I haven't seen it back because Sky Sports, surprise, surprise, didn't put that in their package, uh, highlights package. Uh, but at the time, it looked like it might have been a penalty to, to me. I say might. Um, not saying it It definitely was. I was at the other end of the stadium. Let me know your thoughts on that in the chat, actually, because I'm sure a lot of you watching it on TV, you would have had another look at it. But that just that Robert of Green, just something falling our way, just doesn't seem to happen under Mikel Arteta. And in many ways, you make your own luck. But in many ways, if your luck is out, you're going to struggle. And I, I do think that for all his faults, for all the things he's done wrong, for all the mistakes he's made, 
I do think that luck is uh, Lady Luck is not a fan of Mikel Arteta at the moment. I got to say. Uh, what else have we got? Let's see. Let's see. Let's see uh, what you guys are saying. A lot of people talking about the fact that they had to pay over a hundred pounds as well to attend today's game, which is quite frankly unacceptable. Um, you know, a lot of people frustrated by the way Arsenal are doing things at the moment, and I, I, I you know, I get that. Um, the whole Arsenal rewards thing is just irritating, isn't it? When you're watching a game, we're struggling and they're popping um, Arsenal rewards adverts on the screen. You're just like, oh, go away, go away. Uh, let's take this super chat from Innie. And Innie, I don't know if you put one in already and I missed it because the chat is constantly updating. I I'm sure I saw your name flash up before and it completely slipped my mind until you've done this one. So I do apologise. Uh, he says, we're all just waiting to see how long before the club budges. The club is on a decline. We'll win games based on sheer quality, but not enough. Yeah, there'll be plenty of teams in the Premier League that we still have superior quality over and that will get us over the line uh but unfortunately if you want to compete at a very top level you need to be adaptable you need to be um tactically aware you need to be strong you need to be consistent all of which arsenal are not at the moment we are um struggling and I, another reason why i think we struggle as well which again i'm going to go into in a lot more detail on the tactical analysis i must make a note um to talk about this because it was a big thing for me today and uh, i'm not sure that that many people have spoken about it so i wanted to make sure that we do cover it and that is the midfield and the fact that we're asking Xhaka to squeeze up a little bit more than he did last season i don't know if you guys have noticed that he keeps being asked to step into that midfield as part of the press whereas last time last season when we were a little bit less aggressive uh in our pressing or in the way we wanted to press, you'd see him drop into that kind of left-back position, wouldn't you, As or as one of the centre-backs. And now he's being asked to push that little bit further up and get in people's faces. And you saw him at times, I thought, look really clumsy today, made a couple of really dodgy challenges where he kind of just bundled into people, always seemed to get to the party late, Granite Xhaka. Um, you know, and that is a consequence of playing Granite Xhaka in that way because it doesn't fit his his attributes he, we know he's not the most mobile of footballers and again i'm looking at it and i'm thinking well you've kept him because you think that he's the man to go forward and and i had no issue with him keeping him but then if you keep him you play him the way that you played him last season where he had his best season in an arsenal shirt you play to his strengths in the midfield you do not ask granite Xhaka to squeeze up on opponents press people because he'll just pick up yellow cards left, right and centre because he will always arrive into most challenges a split second too late. He'll catch people. He'll give away free kicks. He'll become a liability that way. And then he'll be, um, you know, he'll be scapegoated. But actually, <laughs> is that the way Arsenal want to play? Then you've got the wrong personnel. And when you think about how many players we've brought in this summer and how many um how much money we've spent so far to think that we've gone and got the wrong personnel to do what, all the things that Mikel Arteta plans to do this season would be crazy. Surely, wouldn't it? Yeah, lots to address, lots to address. Uh, let's take uh, a couple more bits and pieces. Uh, Jeff Gould says, who's top of your FPL league? Wink, wink. Congratulations, Jeff is currently top of our FPL league. 
So well done, my friend. Um, I haven't looked at it this weekend. I haven't brought myself to do it yet. How many people, can someone tell me who is in the FPL league? How many teams have we got in it? Because I know we've got loads, but because there's all these joint places, I can't just count the league table and see how many there are. So uh, please let me know if you know. If you can be bothered to count it, I'd love to know. Uh, so we can give you guys a shout out on one of the upcoming shows. Uh, let's see what else we've got here. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, it's an interesting one from Craig Tanner. He says, since the 2011-12 season, Wenger scored a 70-plus goals pass. Uh, sorry, let me start that again. Since the 2011-12 season, Wenger's team scored 70-plus goals bar two seasons. Emery scored 73 goals. In 1920, Emery and Arteta's team combined, obviously, got 56 goals. And last season, 55 goals. Goal difference has declined in the same period. The main issue is goals. Yeah, I agree. Um, I do. I do. Uh, Alex McCarthy says uh, over 300 people in the league. Yet yeah, I know there's over 300. I want to know specifically, but I can't be bothered to count them. Uh, brilliant. Uh, let's see uh, what else we've got in the live chat box just before we wrap it up. In fact, before I do that, uh, I just want to remind you guys, if you haven't done so already, please do hit that like button. It really, really does help. There's only 148 likes on the board, but there are over 500 of you watching live right now. So please do uh, hit that like button. It really, really does help. Uh, a few dislikes on there as well, but they seem to be popping up a lot lately. I, I'm guessing it's our tetter out people that just don't uh, don't like what I have to say, but that's fine. Uh, so make sure you hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Make sure you subscribe to the channel as well if you're new. Uh, check out manscaped.com. Check out the La Bomb app as well. And uh, yeah, let's see uh, what else we've got here. Uh, Yo-Yo, where is it? Says, um, is the Etihad a trip we might... Is the Etihad trip, I can't even talk tonight, a must win or must not lose? I don't think it's a must win. And again, this was always going to be really difficult going into these two fixtures because they're two teams we have absolutely no fucking right to beat. Yet, people are going to make their judgments on Mikel Arteta's suitability to the job and how we move forward on whether or not we get results in those games. And that just seems crazy to me. It's a must not lose embarrassingly for me. That's what it is. If Arsenal get beaten 1-0, 2-0 by Man City, I don't think that's unacceptable. It's what I expect. But it must not be a let's go out there and get humiliated defeat kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? We've got, and, and if he does go back to the back three now for Man City and tries to make us more compact, I will be so frustrated. I think it's the right thing, but I'll be so frustrated that he didn't have the sense to do it today. Interesting. Irritating. All of those things rolled into one. Uh, let's take this one before we uh, duck out from uh, marquee signings. It says, your 90-minute friend was right about Lukaku's dream debut. Completely disagree. Uh, Romelu Lukaku would have would have preferred to play Southampton, would have preferred to play any one of a number of teams other than Arsenal. I thought Romelu Lukaku obviously scored that goal he was effective in holding up the ball, but he didn't get as many opportunities at goal as he'd have liked. Um, you know, the, the point that in that debate was Romelu Lukaku wouldn't, would rather play against Arsenal than anybody else in the Premier League on his opening day. No, he bloody wouldn't. 
I'm sure he'd rather play at home to a side fighting for relegation than going away to the Emirates Stadium. It was a nonsense comment trying to get a rise out of me, and they did exactly that. Um, Romelu Lukaku is a physical player. But let me tell you this. All the problems that Romelu Lukaku caused um, Arsenal today, he'll cause them to plenty more defenders in the Premier League over the course of this season. You mark my words and you'll see that. Romelu Lukaku's physicality and, and physical presence and physical strength is not exclusive. It's not exclusive to Arsenal. It doesn't only come out when they play against Arsenal. Something that everyone's going to struggle to contend with, I promise you. Even some of the biggest centre halves and most powerful centre halves in the division can't wait to see him go up against Virgil Van Dyke. That's going to be interesting. Right, we are going to leave it there. Uh, big thank you to everybody for tuning in. Remember, hit the like button, subscribe to the channel if you're new. If you'd like to support me in bringing you more Arsenal-related content, then you can do so by clicking on the link in the description and becoming a member. Thank you all for your continued support. Thank you all for tuning in. Unfortunately, we didn't have a positive result to talk about today, but we are going to be back with our tactical breakdown. That'll be out on Monday afternoon. Going to be at the studio with the 90 Min guys tomorrow morning. So when I get back, we'll do that. Uh, we'll get all the prep done beforehand and we'll do that live in the afternoon. So I look forward to seeing some of you then. I look forward to seeing some of you a little bit later on in the evening as well. Plenty of Arsenal content to come, so make sure those notifications are turned on. Until next time, ciao. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.